So what happens next? Reports such as Bayhaqi, a Sunni historian, and other works of history have narrated that the Prophet called on Umar ibn al-Khattab and he asked him to go as a messenger. The fact that the Prophet even chooses Umar ibn al-Khattab for this task might indicate that Quraysh don't have a problem with Umar like they have a problem with some of the other companions like Imam Ali, Zubair and others. So the Prophet tells him, Umar, go to Mecca, be my messenger and give them the following message. Umar says, I fear Quraysh, I fear for my life. Then he makes this claim, Quraysh knows my enmity towards them and I don't have anyone from my tribe, Bani Adi, to protect me. He came from this tribe. If you really want, I'll go. But basically he's saying to the Prophet, I don't want to go. I'm scared of Quraysh. They know my enmity towards them. So it's not a good idea to send me. The Prophet doesn't say anything to him. He does not insist on him going. I would like to analyze the stance of Umar and his reply. Because it's very important for us to read between the lines in order to better understand the challenges of the Prophet and the status of some of these companions that other Muslims really you know, hold in high regard and consider them the warriors of Islam. The first observation, we say that it is inappropriate for Umar to reject the Prophet's offer. You blame us why we always choose Ali and favor Ali. When the Prophet told Imam Ali to sleep in his bed on the night of the Hijrah, the night of the migration, he did so with a feeling of being honored. And the only question he asked, Ya Rasulullah, will you be safe? He never asked about his own safety. And the danger that night, the night of migration was much greater than this danger here because there was a plot to assassinate the Prophet. Here the Prophet didn't ask Umar to go and fight. He just told him go and be a messenger and we know that a messenger does have some protection. As we saw with Kharash, the previous messenger, at least the Ahbash, um, you know, they saved him. In the end they figured it's um, shameful and disgraceful to kill him, so they didn't kill him. So it was relatively safe for Umar to go, yet he feared and refused. Where is the spirit of sacrifice? When Rasulullah asks you to complete a task, you tell him, I'm scared, I don't have a family to protect me. What, you don't think the Prophet knows more than you? The Prophet asked you to go, don't question, don't come up with following with follow-up questions, just accept if you really believe in him that much and you're willing to sacrifice. That's the first observation that we have here. The second observation, Omar does not come up with a reasonable excuse, such as, oh Prophet, do you think it will be effective? It's clear Quraysh will reject. Even though you should not make any excuses with the Prophet, but at least this would have been more acceptable for him to say. The excuse he comes up with is a personal one. I fear for my life. I fear Quraysh. Honestly, that's not appropriate. That's a shame. For you to come up with a personal excuse, that's a shame. At least if he would have, um, you know, concocted 
an excuse that had to do with the well-being of Islam, the well-being of the Muslim community, even though you still shouldn't do that with the Prophet, but okay, it's um, less shameful. <laughs> but the fact that he's saying, I am scared, and remember, these are uh, Sunni sources. I'm not quoting Shia sources here. I'm scared to go. I don't have a family to protect me. Citing a personal reason is really not appropriate. When you're in that very delicate situation, the Prophet is there. They're waiting to go to Umrah. Things are becoming more tense. The Prophet tells you, be my messenger, go. He wasn't willing to be the Prophet's messenger. Why make him the Prophet's Khalifa? I don't understand. Yes, the second Khalifa, Umar ibn al-Khattab. The third observation here. Remember that our brothers from Ahl-Sunnah, they claim that Allah al-Islam bi Umar. They constantly make this claim that Allah honored and strengthened Islam with Umar and how brave he was and how Quraysh were so scared of him. And they have hadith stating that when he became Muslim in Mecca and he fled Mecca, he came in open daylight and he declared that he's a Muslim carrying his sword and he left for the hijrah and no one dared to stop him. He was so powerful and courageous, all the Quraysh, they would shiver in his presence. Yalla, let's see that courage here. How come you saying I'm scared of Quraysh? I thought you were the brave warrior who declared your Islam in open daylight, in broad daylight, and nobody dared stop you. Nobody dared say a word to you. What happened now? There's a contradiction here. You can't accept these both. You've got to sacrifice one of these, <laughs> you know, hadiths here. That's the third observation. The fourth observation. Omar makes the claim towards the Prophet. He says that Quraysh knows my enmity towards them. Honestly, was that really the case? When we see the stances of Umar during the, during the Prophet's life, honestly, we have a hard time believing this claim that he makes, that Quraysh know what an enemy I am to them. Quraysh's enmity for Umar was not more than the, any, any other average Muslim. We don't believe Quraysh had any enmity towards Umar more than the average Muslim. He did not kill their warriors in battle. He never played a strategic role to strengthen Islam and weaken Quraysh during the Prophet's life. What's this enmity that he's talking about? The enmity he's talking about is the enmity they had for Imam Ali, not for someone like Umar. They had enmity for someone who, who supported the Prophet every step of, every step of, step of the way. He defended the warriors of Islam. He killed their own warriors. The Lion of God, yes, they had enmity towards him. But Umar ibn al-Khattab, honestly, what did he do for them to have such enmity as he claims? In fact, in fact, at the Battle of Uhud, we see some enemy fighters from the Mushrikeen avoiding to kill Umar. I'm not going to give you my analysis why. You can do that analysis. I'll just give you an example. As an example, See what Dhirar ibn al-Khattab says to Umar at Uhud. By the way, Dhirar ibn al-Khattab is not the brother of Umar ibn al-Khattab. He's uh, not his immediate relative. I don't know if he was related to him. But Dhirar ibn al-Khattab was a very brave Qurayshi warrior and a poet. He was a mushrik poet from Mecca. So he's not the brother of Umar ibn al-Khattab. Yes, he has the same last name, meaning the, the son of al-Khattab. 
At Uhud, this Dharar ibn al-Khattab, the brave poet from the Mushriks, he chases Umar ibn al-Khattab and he hits him with the spear or he's about to hit Umar with the spear. Then suddenly he lifts the spear and he says, O son of Khattab, meaning O you Umar, I would not kill you. He told him, I wouldn't kill you. The enemy who has come to kill the Prophet, he tells Umar, I wouldn't kill you. And for it is for this reason that Umar would appreciate this favor that he had over him for not killing him. And when Umar becomes Khalifa later, he compensated him for this favor. You know, you didn't kill me on Uhud. So he would give him favors. He would do him favors. And this is well established in the seerah. And there are, so, so, so this indicates he wasn't really such an enemy to Quraysh. If he's such an enemy, you kill him any chance you get. You don't let him escape. Now I'm not going to give you my analysis of why this happened. I'm, I'm just sharing with you history. I do have my own analysis of why this happened, but it's okay, no need to talk about it for now. There are many other examples at Uhud that indicate Quraysh didn't have any special enmity towards Umar ibn al-Khattab. In fact, they viewed him more favorably than other Muslims. At Badr, we also see that Umar advised the Prophet not to fight. He, he said to the Prophet how strong Quraysh were and he effectively was trying to discourage the Prophet from fighting. So where is this alleged enmity? What did he do really against Quraysh that was strategic and it was effective? We don't see that in history. So even the claim that he makes to the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, Quraysh knows the enmity, you know, everyone knows how Quraysh is an enemy to me. They know what, what an enemy I am to them. That, that's a false claim. He's just trying to justify him not going because he's scared of Quraysh or some other reason. That's the fourth observation. The fifth observation here, Omar here admits he doesn't have a family to protect him in Mecca. That's because Omar did not come from a prestigious family as some has, have claimed. His, his social standing did nothing for Islam. Today, today there's a common blind claim by Muslims from other schools of thought that Omar and his social standing and his family and whatever, it gave so much izzah and strength to Islam. That's not true. Because Omar here himself is admitting, I don't have a strong family to protect me. In fact, you know what Muawiyah said about Umar? Omar is the one who appointed Muawiyah as the governor of Sham, by the way. They had an alliance. But Muawiyah comes from Bani Umayyah. Bani Umayyah were prestigious in Mecca. No doubt about that. His father Abu Sufyan was the leader of the Mushrikeen. Even Muawiyah was surprised that Umar became Caliph. Muawiyah, who's his strategic ally. Muawiyah says about the tribe of Adi and Taim. Adi is Umar's tribe. Taim is whose tribe? Abu Bakr. That's his tribe. Abu Bakr comes from the tribe of Taim. You know what Muawiyah says? لَيْسَ فِي قُرَيْشْ حَيَّانْ أَذَلْ مِنْهُمَا Muawiyah says, in Quraysh, there weren't two families, tribes, neighborhoods that were more dhalil than these two. 
less, more abject, weaker than these two. Who says this? Muawiyah even acknowledges this. And Abu Sufyan, Salamu alaykum. Abu Sufyan says to Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet, on the day of Fatah Mecca, the conquest of Mecca, which is one year after Hudaybiyah. He was so shocked. And basically he made a reference to Umar ibn al-Khattab when he saw Umar coming with the Muslims and they had glory. He said to Al-Abbas, Umar, you know, who came from such a low tribe, now he has this position with the Muslims. <laughs> so honestly, we don't accept that Umar through his even family ties gave any strength to it, any strength to Islam. That is not true. Yes. So they have like a grave, uh, They're buried next to the Prophet in Medina. In the same dariq of the Prophet, they're buried. Umar and Abu Bakr are buried in the same dariq with the Prophet. So they do have like a maqam. It's with the Prophet's maqam. It's not a separate maqam. Yes, it's in the maqam of the Prophet. They were the caliphs, so they buried them there. They have power. Aisha buried Abu Bakr in that place. And they refused Imam Hassan to be buried there. When you have power, you decide on anything. <laughs> yes? Just like Imam Rada. Imam Rada is buried to which caliph? Next to which caliph? Anyone knows? Any idea? Yeah, he's in Khurasan in Iran in Mashhad, which was the Maru area at the time. But inside the Dharih of Imam Rada, who's he buried next to? No, no, someone evil. Someone evil. Not Ma'mun, no, before Ma'mun. Who was the Khalifa before Ma'mun? Harun. He's buried next to Harun. Harun. The one who killed the father of Al-Imam Rada, who killed Al-Imam uh, Al-Kadhim salam, Musa ibn Ja'far, who was an enemy towards the Al-Bayt, Al-Imam Rada is buried next to him. Because the rulers, sometimes they determine these things. It doesn't mean anything. They, yeah, I, I, when I went to, last time I went to Hajj, there was uh, on the dharih of the Prophet, on the shrine, there is a statement that says, Here's where you give your salam to Umar and Abu Bakr. Now giving your salam to them is okay with those Wahhabis. You know, if you pass by and say, Assalamu alayka ya Aba Hafsan Umar. Nobody has a problem with you. But say your salam to the Prophet or one of his family, oh, suddenly you're a mushrik and you're evil. I don't remember. I mean, there are verses about the Prophet, some things about the Prophet, but I don't recall this particular phrase. We have to, from, from an image, maybe you can pull up a Google image of the dhariha of the Prophet to see that. But these two stuck in my mind, you know. <laughs> so this was our fifth observation. The sixth observation, the final one, very briefly. Omar finally said to the Prophet, but if you wish, if you really want me, I'll go. This is also inappropriate to do. Because in reality, he was trying to put the responsibility on the Prophet. He was basically saying, I'm, if you really want me to go, I'll go. But you're responsible for that. I, I'm not going willingly. Is that how you treat Rasulullah You think the Prophet is asking a personal thing from you here? He's doing it for Islam, be honored. And you take responsibility. Whatever happens, happens. If you believe in Allah 
and the day of judgment, you'll, you'll die as a shaheed. That's the worst thing that will happen to you. <laughs> what do you fear? So honestly, when you analyze our history, most Muslims are ignorant about these points, but it's important for us to know them. Read between the lines. Don't just read history and not know what's going on.